All right, we have a great episode of Side Retired, the MLB podcast coming at you guys today. We're going to get an inside perspective into what the Hall of Fame ballot voting process is like from Mark Saxon, who is an MLB guy who actually votes for the Hall of Fame. I know Ryan and I love to talk Hall of Fame, but we're actually going to hear what it's like to vote for it. So let's hit the intro music and Ryan, we will get right into this. Hello and welcome to today's edition of Side Retired, the MLB podcast. It is Dylan joined alongside Ryan as always. And as you just heard, we are joined today by Mark Saxon to talk a lot of Hall of Fame. So Mr. Saxon, how are you doing today? Doing well. My my 13-year-old son just walked in the door and I was dancing to the intro music. <laughs> he, thinks, he thinks I'm crazy. So I'm doing well. How are you all? All great. We are both done with college now, at least for the next month or so. So it is a nice, fun, relaxing time to be talking a lot of baseball. Ryan, how are you doing today? Yeah, I mean, I'm doing well, as you said. It's a big relief being done with semester number one of sophomore year. But um, I'm glad to be back on the pod and ready to talk some Hall of Fame. Because as we were talking about before uh, we clicked record, it's definitely a very divisive topic. And we can get a lot of really good takes, especially from a Hall of Fame voter himself. So I'm excited to see inside the mind of uh, Mr. Saxon. And obviously that's a, that's a dangerous thing. But... <laughs> obviously the guys like Bonds and Clemens are gone from this year's ballot, which is definitely but... a new thing in the probably one of the bigger divisive topics. However, they were swiftly replaced by Alex Rodriguez on the ballot, who I'm sure is just as if not more controversial of a figure. So if you want to take us through it first, uh, just a general overview, because Ryan and I, love talking hall of fame but we're not really quite sure like we know a player needs to get 75 percent of the vote and yeah. we know that you get up to 10 votes on your ballot but what's that whole process like is it really just you'll get a ballot in the mail and all of a sudden it's just on you to check off 10 names yeah it's not really a, a, at all a complicated process <laughs> it's a lot easier you know than going to vote in this country for example which you, you guys may do and um which it probably should be but um it you know, yeah, you just get a, a a ballot in the mail with however many names are on it. That I don't know is it about thirty names, and mm-hmm. you can go up to ten. Um, yeah, it's pretty simple. They they have to have five percent of the vote to just to stay on the ballot for the following year, and they have to get seventy five percent for election. Um, but just to kind of kick it off in terms of the three names you threw out there, you know, I just came to this decision. You know, I don't know how many years ago it was five or six years ago that even if there's really credible reporting linking a player to performance enhancing drugs, I just think it's too murky to figure out who did and didn't use for that era. So, I, you know, I have voted for Barry Bonds. I voted for Roger Clemens and I did vote for Alex Rodriguez this year just because I don't think you can talk about an entire era of baseball and not talk about those three guys and for a, a museum to not have three players who fit that description, I think is just wrong. That's my view. I like it. And then obviously there's a lot of other guys on the ballot as well, who probably have those like little taints of steroids or at least rumors Mm -hmm. about them, whether that's guys like Manny Ramirez, Gary Sheffield in years past, it's been like Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire. So do you have sort of like this line of you have to be this good with steroids or is that different versus the guy that has no steroid accusations like a Carlos Beltran? I know it's definitely a murky. Yeah sort of odd situation, but sort of how do you as a voter deal with that? 
Well, that's why it's such like a nightmare to navigate for everybody <laughs> wherever you come down somewhere on that spectrum of, you know, how much you hold it against them. But for me, you know, you kind of reference this in the question, you do have to discount, you know, a lot of numbers from that era. Um, and, it, and that's hard to say, but I think you have to do it for everyone because again, we don't know who was and wasn't using. And you mentioned some of those guys just have a taint of it. Some of them, maybe there was one article that suggested it or a column even. So there's this whole spectrum of how much evidence there is. You know, and I think you can make a credible, credible argument if the you get caught, you know, in the t- current testing regime, that's a line in the sand. And Manny Ramirez does fit that, Alex Rodriguez. So, um, but for me, I've just decided, you know, again, those guys for me were very much the greatest players of that era. And they just should be in the in a baseball museum that tells the history of baseball. That's really what it comes down to for me. Yeah, I personally find that I fall along the same line right now. I feel like... <clears throat> As I've grown older, I've kind of just realized that steroids obviously plays a very important role. And when you're at that high of a level, that is a very important differentiating factor. But when you're talking about somebody like Barry Bonds, Alex Rodriguez, those guys have 700 plus and almost 700 plus 696 home runs. Like there's no way that you can tell the story of baseball without it. So I completely agree with you in the fact that they do belong in this museum that's supposed to be a shrine to the sport that is baseball um we can get more to the specifics of the people that you voted for um a little later in the episode but a question sure. that i've always wanted to ask somebody with a hall of fame vote is um when you kind of like in terms of your philosophy when you're deciding who to vote for and who to not vote for do you take into consideration more a player's peak? So let's say the player's best five to 10 years of their career, or do you think that um, kind of like the longevity of somebody's career and being good over a whole 20 years and maybe achieving that 3000 hit milestone or 500 home runs, 3000 strikeouts, whatever it may be. um, Is that more important? Cause I know Dylan and I were talking previously, for example, like David Wright versus Adrian Beltre both mm-hmm. contemporaries, third baseman, very good. David Wright had arguably a Hall of Fame peak, but most likely won't make it past a couple of years at best on the Hall of Fame uh, ballot due to his injuries, unfortunately. And then you have Adrian Beltre, who now with 3,000 hits, 500 home runs, everybody sees as a shoe-in. So what's your mm-hmm. philosophy on that? No, I, I, I kind of have a predisposition to view it the way you do. I've always viewed it as like it should be uh, – a hall of the most transcendent players, right? And so for me, I think I do sort of gravitate toward maybe that, you know, peak greatness period, like that Kofax rule they talk about, you know, six, seven years of just total dominance. Um, But I think everybody, I think to say that it's not some of both would be disingenuous too, because Adrian Beltre, he is, you know, I think Adrian Beltre is kind of a, a lock Hall of Famer now. And that's because he, in part because he played for so long. I mean, there were some of those teams he was on where he wasn't even the best player on his own team, I remember, like in Texas, yeah. Seattle. But when you do it that well for that long, that also is deserving, I think, of recognition. So I guess a little bit of both, but I sort of lean toward, like I said, a transcendent talent, you know. And then you get the rare guys who are both the Ricky Henderson's, the Barry yeah. Bonds, you know, mm. the favorite. Yeah. You know? yeah, exactly. 
I do and then have there. to ask with the David Wright poster right behind me. And David, I believe <laughs> is up for the Hall of Fame, if not next year, the year after. Is there a little That'll be an interesting case. 5%? That'll be real interesting. And, and third baseman in general is an interesting position because what are we, what's everyone talking about? Underrepresented, mm-hmm. you know, in the Hall of Fame. And I, I do think that's pushing Scott Rowland's uh, candidacy. It'll help, it'll help Beltre. I don't know what will happen with Wright. I'll have to dig in a little bit more on his uh, career stats. I haven't you know, done that yet, but really he's going to be in- an interesting player for what you mentioned. He just didn't do it, you know, couldn't stay healthy for those latter years. Yeah, Ryan, you got any other like big questions yeah. or do you want to dive into the nitty gritty? I have another question specifically about the ballot. So I have your ballot here pulled up in front of me and I haven't seen a ballot in a while. And I didn't actually realize that um there was an option you could take yes or no as to whether or not you wanted to make your ballot public after the voting i thought writers just decided to post it on twitter or instagram or whatever it may be um so what goes into your decision to making that public because i know for a lot of writers that can be a a bit of a strenuous situation i suppose you could say given the fact that they receive a lot of hate for voting for one player or the other and do you think all writers should make their votes public that's a good question because like last year I did take a lot of heat around, you know, because I, the last team I covered was the Cardinals and last year I didn't vote for Scott Rowland, you know, guy who I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And so like a lot of the people here and who were Cardinals fans were upset with that. Um, so yeah, it does get a little bit like you do get a little bit of that blowback, which is okay. But that's kind of how I view it is like, look, it's kind of a big deal. Like this means a lot to a lot of people. So you just have to expect some of that. So, I just feel like for me, because I'm in the business of trying to get information and getting people to be, you know, talking and communicative, I just thought it was the best thing to do. I, I, I don't mind that sort of accountability. I think that's a good thing. But I wouldn't I would stop, you know, short of telling other people that they should do it. If I had, you know, 10 million followers on Twitter or something, maybe I wouldn't want to because I could yeah. make a brush. I don't know. Yeah. And you mentioned that you were you covered the St. Car- St. Louis Cardinals most recently. Um, two guys that they've recently acquired in the past five years, I would say, who definitely are building Hall of Fame resumes for themselves and Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. What do you think about their Hall of Fame cases? Do you think that in time they may have a place in Cooperstown? Yeah, I think they're both getting really interesting. You know, I've always thought Paul Goldschmidt was just criminally underrated in the National League. And I, I before the Cardinals, I covered the Dodgers. So I, I sort of like weirdly have sort of traveled with him a little bit in the league. But mm-hmm. um, so I've seen him a lot. And he's just such a tremendously consistent, just wrecking ball at the plate, who does a lot of other things well in the field. So I think his candidate, you know, I think moving out of Arizona to St. Louis will help his visibility a little bit. Yeah, you know, you're, sure. you're going to get more postseason. They have a bigger fan base. So I think that's that's going to give him a boost. To me, he's kind of very borderline. I think Arenado is creeping into that. Yeah, probably going to make it. I don't know about mm-hmm. first ballot, but to me, because of all the defensive accolades yeah, um, with the rest and the underrepresentation of third baseman, again, I, I think he's going to be a guy who has a very Adrian Beltre-like career, if not maybe a notch above that. And yeah, I, think, I personally agree with you. Uh, sorry, Don. No, I was going to say, perfect. The, like, the Scott Rowland transition that you mentioned yeah. already with him and that maybe those guys, I know you just mentioned Adrian Beltre is a good 
comparison, but how about Scott Rowland versus Nolan Arenado potentially being a good framework? And then also, I believe you voted for Scott Rowland this year after not last year. So that's an interesting case as well. Yeah, and I'm like Mr. Vacillator on Scott Rowland. He's just right. I'm like, right. <laughs> I'm always changing my mind. And I, I think this year, the I just wanted to go add, add a few more guys to the ballot. I, I am starting to agree. Like there was that year where nobody made it except on the veterans committee. I, I can't remember which year it was recently. Harold Baines might have been the only guy who really was on the podium, but I don't remember if it was that year. It was, it was around there. But um, I just do think we need to like send guys who are the greatest guys, players from the era on. So I, I broadened it a little bit and Scott Rowland made it back on. He is, I do think Beltre is an interesting comparison. Although Roland, you know, did have some injuries at the end, did not have the longevity, but. The defense combined with the offense, you know, and the postseason, you know, all helping those guys. Yeah. Um, if we could briefly go back, not exactly with Arenado, but uh, his transition from Colorado to St. Louis and having as equal success in St. Louis is kind of similar to um, a recent Hall of Famer, Larry Walker. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two questions based off of that. One, did you vote for Larry Walker? And would that cause you to vote for Nolan Arenado if he continues his success? And also, um, on top of that, Todd Helton's on the list, uh, the Hall of Fame ballot again this year. Do you take into account Coors Field as a negative? Do you think that detracts from their value and their success? Or do you not really see that as well, kind of like steroids? I think you have to sort of adjust those numbers to some extent. Um, Although there is a lot to the argument that those guys – get hurt as much by playing in Coors because their road splits are so terrible there. That, that does make sense to me, mm-hmm. but still, I just, I think they're a little bit inflated because they get to play all those games. there. Um, so I would, def- you know, to some extent, I do think Arenado, I think probably like his park adjusted numbers are very similar. I do think if you look at just the raw numbers, they're probably just a tick down and that's what you would expect. Basically, you're talking about a great player who it doesn't phase him, you know, I, and I think that's what you're saying. It is helpful for me when you have those guys who do go on to play at other stadiums. You know, Larry Walker played in Montreal and St. Louis, as you mentioned. So it does help you compare the two and see that they were great elsewhere. Um, but I do think a lot of this, the, the myth-making around Coors Field that all those hitters were just the product of that is really kind of getting busted these days. Yeah. And I guess when thinking about it, this year's ballot seems to have a lot of guys that there are these external factors, whether it's steroids, whether it's course field, and then whether it's the only guy probably that's a newcomer that's going to be pushing that 75% mark this year is Carlos Beltran, who has that mm-hmm. 2017 Astros tint of trash cans with him. Did that really affect your decision making with Carlos? And I know he's probably a borderline, if not a for sure, Hall of Famer before the 2017 season happened with his time with the Royals and the Mets. But so what was the whole Carlos Beltran? Because he's probably the most interesting of the new guys on this year's ballot. Yeah, I actually didn't take that into consideration, the Astros thing. Um, Maybe I should have. Um, But I just thought, you know, he's we're talking about him as a player here. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't really manage. So you can't really he wouldn't he wouldn't you wouldn't be considering him as like a dual candidate who did both, you know. So I just I kind of left that out. Um, He's a guy and I thought I think I maybe even tweeted this at some point. Um, he's kind of, there's a pretty similar case between him and Scott Rowland in terms of like career war similar. 
great defense that'll help their candidacy. Uh, Beltran has even better uh, postseason numbers than Roland. Significantly better, actually. Fantastic, obviously. Great postseason performer. And played a ton in the postseason and took teams to it. So, to me, yeah, I think he is a Hall of Famer. And um, a little bit of guy whose lengthy career helped him a little bit. But still, he he to me, he does clear that that hurdle. I know hearing stories about how great of a postseason hero Carlos Beltran is. Yet all I remember is against... The team that you recently covered, the Cardinals, staring at that nice Adam Wainwright curveball right down the middle of the plate. That's definitely the memory that Mets fans remember with Carlos <laughs> Beltran, but definitely a great player overall defensively and offensively as well. Right. He, he had some great years elsewhere. He did some good things as a Met, of course. <laughs> <But> that, <laughs> whenever, whenever it's whenever it's called, whenever it's a, a looking strikeout, it's a little more painful. <laughs> I think there was a great change-up in that sequence as well, which Wainwright isn't as well known for. Is Wainwright a Hall of Famer? He's an interesting case as well. Longevity, full-time with the Cardinals. Guy who's pushing it like at the end of his career, right? Who, if he doesn't have those like three years wiped out by injury, plus a couple that were kind of diminished, I think, by the injury, he would have been, I think, maybe even a lock. But Mm -hmm. now he's making a late push for it, it looks like. Yeah, absolutely. And I think because I remember kind of speaking to how a lot of these players, their primes were around Dylan and I's youth, like when we were 10, 11 years old, first getting into baseball. I remember Adam Wainwright always in those battles with Clayton Kershaw for the Cy Young for a solid three or four years. Um, But another question I had sort of along the line of uh, voting philosophy as well Um I noticed that you voted for both K-Rod and Billy Wagner, which I believe they're the only two relievers on the oh, Houston Street, outside of Houston Street. Uh, yeah. They're two of the three relievers on the list this year. Um, so how do you value relievers and closers when you're voting, which um, in my opinion seem to be rather underrepresented and takes a lot more ah. to get into the Hall of Fame? That's the thing. You you do have to think in terms of positional you know, position, you know, position to some extent, and they're so incredibly underrated. I mean, Francisco Rodriguez, I think, I, I don't know if he still is, but recently was number four on the all-time save list. You know, he, he had the, you know, the single season mark. So these are like the elite of the elite as relievers. You cannot look at, you know, wins above replacement for these guys because they're going to be in the twenties because they just didn't pitch a lot of innings. But I mean, if you talk to, you know, teammates of great closers, they'll say they're a huge part of the team. And I, I do think you have to take that to some to, to heart somewhat. And the greatest of the great at every position, I think, should be in there um, in the Hall of Fame. And that, you know, that's partially another one that's sometimes controversial is that I vote for Jeff Ken. And that's positional as well. I just think, you know, one of the top two or three most powerful second basemen in the history of the game, you know, probably should be in the Hall of Fame. I think with Kent, the stat is that he's the most home runs out of any second baseman in history. And it's sort of going back to your initial argument of how can you tell the story of baseball without the guy who has the most home runs at the position. And Kent, who I believe is in his last year on the ballot. So it's definitely Mm -hmm. a final push for him. I know you voted for him. I don't know if he's going to get in this year because it seems like the support isn't fully there for him, but he's definitely an interesting case nonetheless. And a little polarizing as well. It'd be interesting if it comes down to the Veterans Committee, which, you know, tends to have a lot of former players, you know, because Jeff Kent was 
sort of polarizing player, very intense, you know, had some fights on the field and stuff. I wonder how he would do with that veterans committee. Well, the veteran, because isn't it the, in the year that Harold Baines got in, who we mentioned earlier, I think it was that Tony LaRusso's former manager or former yeah. teammates were on. And then this year that Fred McGriff got in, you had Greg Maddox on the committee. So it seems like it's an interesting who you know is going to help you get in on those veterans committee versus with you guys. It's a more general 400 riders. You might get a more sort of accurate take on a general body's opinion on a player. And yet the hilarious thing is everyone is outraged at both, uh, <laughs> both methods. <laughs> so, I don't know. You know, maybe the computer could do it better. I don't really know what it's going to end up becoming. You know, eventually. There's always somebody that has to say something though. <laughs> I wonder um, though, like there, you probably could build a heck of an algorithm, you know, for doing it. And I know guys like, um, um, you know, there are really talented uh, people who write about the Hall of Fame a lot. Jay Jaffe comes to mind, um, and they do design those kinds of programs. But you know, I wonder if you really put some advanced AI into it, what it would look like. <laughs> yeah, that would definitely be interesting to look at. Um, Going through your list, continuing to go through your list, um, as a Yankees fan, uh, one guy that I found interesting that you voted for was Andy Pettit, who even as a Yankees fan, I'm not sure who I may have, if whether or not I may have voted for him. Um, obviously, he had quite the career, but he only made it to three All-Star games. He had three, five career, didn't really hit any of the major milestones. But he was, however, a member of that, core four he ended up with five uh five world series titles so was that lore you could say part of your decision making or uh did you think that he deserved to make it solely off of his career statistics it's not it's not just lore it's look at the postseason statistics right i mean about as dominant as there is right um so it's that huge amount you know great winning teams that he was on but I'm very, I, you're right. I mean, you really break down his candidacy. Um, very fringy for me. But again, I broadened sort of my view a little bit this year, added some guys. He's always, I've vacillated a little bit on him more than even a Jeff Kent, for example, who we mentioned maybe isn't a, for some people, a slam dunk. But again, it's the postseason resume that elevates him a ton just because of, you know, you're talking about really historic accomplishments. Yeah, absolutely. And then apologies for not knowing, but are you sort of in history, do you tend to vote for 10 players no matter what, because that's how many they give you? Or are there years where it's just like, there aren't 10 guys here that I think are Hall of Famers? Unfortunately, I wish I could say that I've been totally consistent with like my <laughs> philosophy all throughout, but like I've adjusted as I've learned mm-hmm. new things. And, I've, and in some cases, as we've learned, you know, new news about players or whatever, um, You know, I voted for Omar Vizquel in the past. His, you know, litany of complaints against him at this point, though, just on the character side, I can't, you know, I'm not going to vote for him any any longer. Um, So, but yeah, uh, you know, all of that comes into play. Um, But it's a lot more fun when you just talk about the baseball stuff, of course. (laughs) And then one guy that has a lot of, I know it's technically baseball, but it's not baseball, but he's still a fun personality to be around is Manny Ramirez who you do vote for and you have voted for <laughs> in the past Manny being Manny that's another one of those personalities that it's hard to tell that early 2000s story without Manny was he a slam dunk when you're making your ballot for sure Manny's a hall of famer yeah and I know that'll just really anger a lot of people because <laughs> he got 
popped, you know, like several m- multiple times for using, you know, steroids. Um, just, yeah, part of it's the eye test. He was just such a great hitter because I, you know, I was covering the American League for a lot of his career there. So I just saw him a lot. And, and then the postseason, of, co- of course, um, just a wrecking ball. Um, you know, he and David Ortiz on that Red Sox team. I mean, just extraordinary players in the postseason. So that sort of tips him over. But, you know, and again, I've said that I, I'm more accepting of some of the performance enhancing stuff because we don't know who, which pitchers were using it, which other hitters. So it's just hard to make those comparisons. And then there's also a pretty similar guy on the ballot in Gary Sheffield or Gary Sheffield, who's a big home run hitter. I believe he had 500 in his career, but unlike Manny, who we all sort of identify as Red Sox at heart, uh, Gary definitely jumped around the league right. a lot. Um, was that part of what might have weighed him down a little bit, or he just didn't stand out as much as Barry Bonds or Sammy Sosa or a guy like that? Because I know there were a ton of home run hitters in that era, but Gary yeah. definitely, if you look at the sort of the benchmarks that we said earlier of a compiler of 500 career home runs, he did hit that mark. Yeah, he did, and just totally fearsome guy too and for that whole era i try not to use it against a player if they play for multiple teams like that you know um but i think manny ramirez while you're right the power you know numbers are similar between manny and and let's say um uh you know sheffield you know the overall hitter i think manny was the better hitter if you look at batting average and you know doubles um fewer strikeouts more walks so i think just a, a more valuable hitter um and and you know neither one was much defensively so he, you know, sort of that's a bit of a wash but you know Sheffield I believe DH'd a ton you know Manny did as well so similar there but just to me Manny the, the more the pure hitter the overall um offensive numbers just a tick up and Sheffield for me you know if I had 11 he would have been the next guy I think on there but again just maybe more in that Maguire Sosa camp where his whole tent is built around that home run number and that's slugging percent. Yeah. Makes sense. And then there are two sort of fun questions that we did have that are semi-related to the hall of fame ballot, but at the same time, not a hundred percent, but if you're game for them, we're definitely ready to ask them to you if you want it. Uh, well, I'll do my best. I mean, it depends <laughs> how far, how far a foul we go here, but I'll try. <laughs> so the first one was that a couple years ago when Coco crisp made the hall of fame ballot, we both said that Coco Chris deserved to be in the Hall of Fame just based on his name alone and not because of his whole baseball acumen and the type of play that he has. So and the hair. Baseball. Don't forget and about the hair. Hall of Fame hair. <laughs> sure. I was a big fan of Coco Crisp's hairdo the one year when he just went like huge <laughs> hair like that. I think yeah, both that both that innovation and the name should get him in some kind of Hall of Fame. I'm with you. <laughs> So then our question based off of that is, as covering baseball for several years like you have, has there ever been a player that you have run into or covered or that's just been a true joy to interact with in your career that you've just said, probably not a Hall of Fame player, but that's a standout guy that I have loved all my interactions with. And if I had a Hall of Fame of myself, he would be in my personality Hall of Fame. Yeah, and he's on this ballot that we've talked about so much today, <clears throat> and that's Tory Hunter, who I covered in Anaheim after he came from Minnesota. And I actually remember interviewing him when he was at Minnesota in a young, super young braces, had braces and everything. He looked like a you know baby at that time. But, uh, you know, I know he had some controversy later, and I don't condone what he later said, but 
just a really total people person, like really enjoyed conversations with him over the years. And um, he would ask one of the rare players is when, when you're a reporter in the clubhouse, sometimes they send to see, tend to see you kind of as furniture, just like a presence who's always there. He would actually get to know you and ask you questions about yourself. You know, he'd be, he's that interested in other people and engaged. So he, he was a real delight to be around. I can tell you that. I love it. And then the last one is you've always mentioned that you don't want there to be an empty Hall of Fame stand or a year where there's nobody to get inducted. Obviously, we do have Fred McGriff already, but if you had to make a projection, all the guys on this year's ballot, do you think we get anyone at that prestigious 75% mark? Boy, yeah, that's such a good question. I think Beltran's got a good chance. Um, you know, and Roland's on the cusp because of the trends. You know, I don't have they do give you a handy dandy sheet that shows you how what percentage they were at. And I do think Scott Rowland has a good a good chance this year, if not this year, maybe next ballot. Um, but of the first timers, Beltron, you know, seems to me like the only one that jumps out. Uh, am I missing anyone who's like at the top of the percentages other than Bonds and Clemens who didn't, you know, didn't qualify? don't think so looking at it right now it seems like all the guys andrew jones jeff kent were around that 40 percent. so it would be a be a heck of a jump if they get all the way up to 75 right right so roland might be the one who joins fred mcgriff up there so it'll be uh that'll be interesting i'll get you know a big spotlight of course and then obviously next year there is ichiro suzuki who's probably a slam dunk easy yes you've got adrian beltre who's seems like a strong yes and then there's a bunch of other players who fit that had great peaks not sure about the full-time hall of fame including david wright chase utley jimmy rollins and a bunch of other fun players that i know as an nl east fan of the mets i have some very positive (laughs) views on david wright and some not so great ones on chase utley as a baseball player but fun nonetheless well we definitely appreciate all of the fun all the insight that you've given us over the last half an hour unless ryan there's anything else you want to throw in no, that's kind of it, but I really appreciate you coming on. Definitely offered a lot of insight that I had really never really uh, considered in the past on Hall of Fame voting. Absolutely. I really enjoyed it, guys. And uh, and really, I, I really appreciate you sticking up for Ruben Tejada there at, uh, <laughs> over at Chase Hutley. I think that's brave of you. <laughs> that is a fun topic. That's I think I was around maybe 15 when that happened, and that was traumatizing thinking he just broke our shortstop's leg and all the fun that happened there with Ruben Tejada becoming a cult hero and then also two years from now when he's up for the hall of fame hopefully he gets a vote to stay at five percent to stay on that ballot and potentially make we'll do it again then how about that (laughs) sounds good I like it I will come with a full essay ready to explain (laughs) why he deserves the vote (laughs) all right thank you so much Mr. Saxon Okay, take care. Have a good night. Thank you. Great news. Side Retired is now partnered with SeatGeek. For all ticketing needs, go to SeatGeek.com and use promo code SideRetiredPod in all capitals for $20 off your first order. We've got you covered from all things ranging from sporting events to concerts, including the NFL and NHL. Yes, this means we're officially taking you out to the ballgame. And now for the rest of today's edition of Side Retired Podcast. Well, that was a great interview just now, Ryan, with Mr. Saxon talking about the Hall of Fame vote. Ryan, what were your thoughts on this past half an hour? Yeah, it was a great opportunity to talk to, to, talk to Mr. Saxon, a real Hall of Fame voter, um, and get his insights on uh, his Hall of Fame philosophy, whether it be with course Field, steroids, um, and go over some of the players that he listed on his ballot. Um, 
Yeah, he definitely offered some great insight and it was a pleasure to talk with him. Sounds great. So obviously Ryan, Jack and I and James will all be back over this winter break. Now that we're on break, we can do a lot of more episodes, a lot of interviews, so great content coming out for you guys. Off season is not dead, tons of great interviews. So until later this week, the side is retired.